Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, where we go deep to help you learn the game and play the game to the best of your ability. This week, we're talking preseason skill player watch lists. I'll call it the All-22 Rookie Team, below-the-radar players whose draft capital did not match their talent. So the odds are against these players earning early opportunities to contribute in an NFL offense. But if circumstances allow it, they have the skills to exceed current expectations and potentially go from a roster hopeful to an actual meaningful part of the game plan within 6 to 18 months. These are the players you should be considering for your expanded preseason rosters and dynasty leagues, as well as have them on a running list for redraft waiver wire formats as preemptive additions when injuries limit the known quantities that your competition and yourself are going to be drafting this summer. First of all, thank you to all of my subscribers of the 2022 Rookie Scouting Portfolio pre-draft and post-draft package. I never tire of the feedback you routinely send my way, and I aim to shock new readers while maintaining a high bar for returning customers. And based on what I'm seeing daily through emails, I think I'm reaching those two goals this year, so I really appreciate it. If you haven't gotten the 2022 RSP pre-draft post-draft package for $21.95 at mattwaldman.com, you can go there right now, order and download it immediately. And if you've purchased the 2022 RSP Dynasty projections and complete team-by-team rankings package that's available for $24.95, I just want to let you know that I'm more than halfway through my first run of projections, and I'm expecting to email you guys a link and password to this information by mid-June. If you haven't purchased the RSP Dynasty projections and complete team-by-team rankings before. This is a great way to complete the loop for Dynasty management. This year, I'm adding some notations for players in my tiered rankings that will give you some idea of who I believe have high ceilings, low floors in terms of their potential, whether they're boom-bust, as well as labeling players. I'm going to begin to do this as scheme players and or matchup players. Scheme players, I talk about a lot, they need the offense to create opportunities more often for them than matchup players who often create um, opportunities more on their own in one-on-one situations. They don't need a, a play specifically schemed up for them to get most of their yardage. They can win against top talent one-on-one. This should give you a feel for the type of players you have on your roster builds or how to create a balance that's weighted more towards matchup players when given the opportunity. Again, mountwaldman.com is where you can order these two products, and it has been the case for the past decade. The RSP is donating up to $5,000 of the proceeds from this year's um, sales packages to Darkness to Light to aid their educational awareness programs on the subject of preventing sexual abuse of children, as well as learning how to address the issue when it's reported to children, reported um, so that children aren't victimized a second time from the mishandling of the situation. I can tell you that when, you know, their training talks about this a lot and it's just very well known when you talk to anybody who was victimized in this way that sometimes the actual way it's mishandled by parents or community leaders or people in leadership can actually have as much or greater of impact than the actual abuse itself. So, very important subject. The RSPs donated over $50,000 to D2L.org during the past decade. We're very proud of that, and hopefully we're making an impact that way. Lastly, and not least, by certainly not least, John Hodgins, who I've talked about a lot during this draft cycle, who's a fantasy player and has been in this, you know, has been playing for a long time. He's a 75-year-old gentleman who is only $808 away from meeting his goal so he can relocate himself, reunite his family, and have a healthy and safe home base to address his kidney disease as well as work through some of the issues that his daughter is going through, his adult-aged daughter is going through. If you follow this podcast, you know about John, you know, again, 75 year old guy who worked in Modesto at a medical center for 20 years. And he was the victim of a violent crime that left him and his wife homeless for periods of time over the past three years. 
If you Google John Hodgins, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-G-I-N-S, on and just Google John Hodgins, GoFundMe, or and look for A Senseless Crime Tore Our Lives Apart as the title, you can Google all of that. Again, John Hodgins, GoFundMe, A Senseless Crime Tore Our Lives Apart. You can find the webpage to donate. And I know he'll appreciate it. He is so close to his goal. When he reached out to me back in February, he had $350 in the GoFundMe. The goal is $7,500. He's only $808 away. You know, help everyone who's already pledged to put this guy over the top so that he can get that donation and start making his moves. Again, Google John Hodgins, GoFundMe, A Senseless Crime Tore Our Lives Apart. I know he would appreciate it. I certainly would as well. At least spread the message. Share it. If you can't donate, share it. It will. It might reach someone who can. Thank you very much. So let's focus on the RSP's preseason skill player watch list, the All-22 team, the All-22 rookie team. These are below-the-radar players whose draft capital didn't match their talent. The odds, again, are against these guys earning early opportunities to contribute in an NFL offense, but if circumstances allow it, they have the skills to exceed current expectations and potentially go from a roster hopeful to a meaningful part of the game plan within 6 to 18 months. These are players you should be considering for your expanded preseason rosters in dynasty leagues, as well as having a running list for redraft formats as preemptive additions when injuries limit the known quantities that your competition will be drafting. Now, fantasy analysts or stat analysts, they often equate draft capital to talent. And that's because they correlate round drafted with production. If you're simply trying to stay away from low odds propositions when you're drafting, then this is a perfectly fine predictor of opportunity. But it's not a predictor of talent. And I know that it's a, a small distinction, but as someone like myself who spends thousands of hours studying talent, um, it does irk me when I hear people say it's a predictor of talent because that's just a wrong way of labeling it. It's more of a predictor of how often the power structure performs to expectation. Um, you know, reducing risk in terms of all the other factors that are involved. I'll we'll mention those fact risks in a moment. But as I've mentioned all the time, talent's a significant reason of why teams draft prospects. But talent is less involved in determining the round that a player is drafted. College program, college production, off-field behavior, injury history, interviews, and physical and athletic prototypes drive the dollar decisions that are tiered into each round of the NFL draft. This is basic risk management in practice. Teams know it's a worse look if it sinks first-round money into a player who doesn't match these things. For example, a short and light FCS running back with two ACL surgeries who you know, if you have if you invest first round money into a guy like that and he fails compared to investing it into a division one running back with first round physical and athletic prototypes, you're going to look worse by sinking money into a guy who had all those things going on, even if he was a mega talent than you would if you picked the safe thing in terms safe guy because of the fact that he had all the things that seemed to correlate to that he should be talented. Doesn't mean that the film works out that way. So, for example, you know, former All-Pro Brian Westbrook wasn't was that FCS running back with two ACL surgeries who played at Villanova at five nine, two hundred and five pounds, short and light. By that, you know, in terms of being a you know a legitimate starter, but he had a terrific career with the Eagles. He was considered a top five talent in some circles. Gil Brandt talked about him as a top five talent, and I've talked often enough that Westbrook was one of the reasons why I got involved in this because I started to realize that it was more than just talent, how they evaluate players. But Gil Brandt said he'd be a top five talent if it weren't for the fact that he was shorter and lighter. And then I looked at all the other factors and said there's probably that too. He was a second-round pick. But in contrast, there's some Division One running backs like Bishop Sankey, Lawrence Maroney, and Monty Ball who all failed, but because they looked the part on paper, it made their failure look a little more palatable. You're less likely to get fired as a GM for missing on players who are 
Division one talents who fit physical prototypes than you are at you know a player busting who legitimately didn't have those risk management factors on their resume and you took a chance on them that early because you've basically thrown away money in a lot of people's eyes. So the risk management behind the investment is why NFL teams rarely have true competition in training camps. Rookies earn um, their reps based on draft capital. This is something that Ryan Riddle has written about, former NFL player who I've talked about a lot, and I've referenced this article every year in the rookie scouting portfolio, pre-draft and post-draft, because what he highlights is that is that the draft capital generates biased assessments on vastly uneven rep allotments. When you pay first-round money for a player, they're going to get more reps to learn that system and show what they can do. You're already paying more money for them. You, it's not like you're having you're picking players, having a tryout in camp, and then deciding who you're going to pay first-round money to. That would probably be a better way to go about it is you draft guys, give them a chance to prove themselves on the field, and then you pay them based on what how they fit in your system and how well they do. Then you'd have more open competition. But that would probably have to change. You'd have to change a lot of the structures of what you do in the league for that to work out, and there'd be new problems that would arise from it. But that's an idea for another time. You know, the, the uneven rep allotments, though, that's what you often see is that that first-round guy who may struggle, coaches and execs will say, well, he just needs to learn the system and get acclimated. He's talented. He'll be okay. He'll figure it out. Whereas a late-round guy, a lot of times people will look at a late-round guy and these same people and say, see, I told you he couldn't play after he actually performs um, reps with a higher percentage of success, but because he's only had four reps in that day or in a session compared to a, a player who has eight to 10 reps, even if the percentage of um, success is higher for the lower round guy, the number of mistakes he make show up more in the you know in the eyes of the observer because they're not thinking about it on that level and the the bias sinks in you know and a good example of someone who was the exception that proved the rule was James Robinson because three years ago Doug Marone had to ask Jaguars management for permission to give James Robinson an undrafted free agent enough reps for a tr legitimate assessment and it was because they were tiring of Leonard Fournette in terms of how they wanted to use a running back, Leonard Fournette's injury history, and just overall the relationship with the team. So they wanted they wanted an opportunity to get rid of Fournette. And if they hadn't, if they had a good enough player who caught Marone's high, he asked the execs for that assessment. And that's not just because the Jaguars, you know, their exec staff is under a lot of criticism for their for their um, decisions. This is indicative of most NFL teams. So who is the RSP All-22 rookie team who have the potential to do what James Robinson has done if they are given a true opportunity due to injury, suspension, an open-minded coach or staff, or some other exceptional circumstance? Well, in fantasy, these are players who are late-round picks and five-round rookie drafts at best and often go undrafted, and I'm going to start from 22 and work my way down and give you a little bit of something about each of these guys. First is Curtis Hodges. Hodges is a tight end who was undrafted with the Washington Commanders, and, and this is a 6'7", 6'8", um, tight end with excellent catch radius skills. Um, he takes contact well. He's physical. He is also fluid as a mover. Um, played at Arizona State. His blocking is, you know, it's going to need a little bit of work. But he's someone that when I look at this team and you think about um, Logan Thomas and where he's at, he's, you know, he's in his late 20s, early. He's going to be in his early 30s pretty soon on that, that you know, on the cusp there of 30. He certainly may have three to four more years. But, it just, you know, you just never know. And the elite guys tend to have three to five more years into their 30s. Um, but, you know, with Thomas, him being a late bloomer, changing positions, you know, that may happen. But once you hit 30, 
it's a good idea to start looking for who might be next in that system. And, you know, they have this kid out of Boise State, John Bates, who is a good blocker. He's a solid receiver who can win up the seam when you stretch it off play action, but he's not a matchup threat at tight end as a receiver. And if we're looking for guys who could potentially become a matchup threat, Curtis Hodges has that size, enough speed, and enough skill at the catch point to compete with a guy like Bates if his blocking can take that next jump. And if it does that, he might, in a by next year, be in a position to be able to compete with John Bates um, for that number two spot and then maybe evolve into a top tight end. Certainly Logan Thomas, who bounced around the league as a quarterback and a part-time and then a project as a tight end, who was third or fourth on his depth charts with a couple of teams after leaving the the Cardinals, you know, after you know, and making the switch, he certainly wasn't considered a guy that you might be looking at for the future. And here he is, a at least a low end tight end one in many in many um, people's estimation, and certainly has performed to that degree when he's healthy. So Curtis Hodges is a guy I would definitely keep an eye on. Number twenty one is Carolina Panthers UDFA Charleston Rambo, the wide receiver out of Miami. He's a, he's a transfer from Oklahoma. He's not that fast. And so he didn't get drafted because you don't have many, you know, when receivers, you don't have that starter prototype NFL speed. Um, they tend to, they tend to fall through the cracks and Rambo certainly is that guy. Now he has a strong catch radius. He's tough. He has good hands. He has the makings of becoming a good route runner, both in zone and against man-to-man. He can win some tough play targets against man-to-man. And Carolina strikes me as a team that, you know, their wide receiving core looks pretty good right now in terms of, you know, Anderson and Moore. And if Marshall can take that next step, that's great. They've got Hollywood Higgins, who is a nice, um, you know, journeyman type of player who can come in and give you some production against zone coverage or some short man-to-man routes at times. Rambo's kind of a Hollywood Higgins type of player who could be available for cheaper um, if he has a good camp and if Higgins doesn't show anything outstanding. Or Rambo can play on the can be a part of the practice squad possibly and work his way into that type of a role. Um, you know, there's a, I can already think of a player that I'm probably missing here that I'd like to talk about. And we'll say the unofficial guy is Jalen Naylor with Minnesota who uh, like Rambo isn't very fast, but he is quick. He has, or I, I think his actually has more speed than Rambo. His speed wasn't bad. But he's um, he's more of a guy that you want to play zone, who runs well after the catch, um, has some special team skills, and Naylor's a a guy that I wouldn't rule out as someone who might be able to contribute in four and five receiver sets if he has a good camp. Number twenty, Raheem Blackshear. He's a running back out of Virginia Tech. He teamed with Khalil Herbert in twenty twenty and then um, took over the starting role with Virginia Tech in 2021. Now, he transferred to Virginia Tech after leaving um, Rutgers, where Isaiah Pacheco became the main guy there. And Blackshear reminds me a little bit of Khalil Herbert in the sense that he's a low-to-the-ground, low-center-of-gravity running back with good quickness. He He has the skills to set up creases, um, understands his blocking schemes well and executes them effectively. And he has some receiving skill to boot. And there's some there's some burst to his game. He is going to have to make it on special teams. But the the Buffalo Bills who, who took him and signed him to a, uh, an undrafted free agent contract, you know, they're always looking for special teams guys. Antonio Williams was a smart running back who was like an all-North Carolina runner who went to Ohio State as a top prospect, never really distinguished himself there, um, but at least on the field, but off the field, he distinguished himself as 
essentially a you know a student coach in a sense a guy who could really mentor and help his younger teammates learn the offense and work with them and then ended up at North Carolina to end his career and played pretty well there for North Carolina as a contributor and looked good when needed in Buffalo at the end of the season when he was put in in the you know during the final game or two of his rookie year he distinguished himself as a capable runner um, but that's not really what he's going to be known for. Um, but Blackshear might be able to follow in that respect, but I think he's a better runner than Antonio Williams. And I think he could become like that cheap second or third back if James Cook really works out well and they can get rid of Zach Moss and um, Devin Singletary when their contracts expire. Blackshear might still be hanging around and might be a worthwhile guy to watch maybe not this year but off the practice squad next year of course running back churn is so such a real thing that he might be a name forgotten but he's a, he's a smart player he's a skilled runner with good receiving skills keep an eye on him whether he stays in buffalo or not it's also why he's lower on the list number 19 britain brown ucla something about brown with his burst He's a little bit. He has a little bit of a high pad level, but his burst and athletic ability is good. He breaks tackles. He he's a decisive runner from what I've seen, and I could see him having that growth potential where he becomes a better NFL producer than a college guy, than what he did at college. And he's with the Raiders, and we know that um, you know Josh McDaniel has had his has been in systems or coached himself where he didn't have top names at running back or he used guys who weren't top names. Brandon Bolden was added to the Raiders lost roster, um, you know, to kind of help acclimate the Raiders players to their system. He's a Bolden is a terrific special teamer um, and a, and a solid runner. He makes plays when he's put on the field, even if he's not, doesn't have that athletic ability to be the difference maker that teams want to rely on, on a regular basis. Britton Brown has some of that athletic ability. He's raw, but he's a guy I could see being on the practice squad. And then when Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake's contracts expire at year's end, you have Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, who could play that Deion Lewis role potentially if they don't, you know, sign another free agent or two or draft other players who who could fulfill that role, which is more likely. But right now we're looking at what's on the roster. And that's something that you, you know, if you're on the roster right now, just overlooking those guys can be a mistake, at least from accounting for what they might be able to do for you if injuries hit. And we've seen Amir Abdullah be able to do some you know, at least show some promise of work when he gets that opportunity. And he has a little bit of that Deion Lewis to his game without a doubt. But Britton Brown could be that guy in a year, you know, 12 to 18 months, that he could become a little bit more than what people would expect if he shows enough in this camp that the team wants to keep him. Number 18. Now, this is a crowded backfield right now. It looked like it wasn't, and then... Um, the Arizona Cardinals added Daryl Williams to the mix. But Ronnie Rivers of um, Arizona, you know, he's a former Fresno State player. He's a he's a Deion Lewis type for sure. And this is another, you know, Deion Lewis, Jalen Richard type, very good in the slot as a running back who can run option routes, catches the ball well, excellent quickness, good balance for his size, runs tough, for his his size and is a smart runner, just lacks great top-end speed. So right now, you look at Eno Benjamin, who hasn't really shown a ton, but is slated to be the number two guy before at least Darrell Williams came in. They drafted Keontae Ingram, who I think is an underrated talent. Um, And you have have James Conner. But, you know, Williams is on a one-year deal. Um, Benjamin's expendable, likely gone by the end of the year, unless he just shows out. 
James um, Jonathan Ward, who I thought was a sneaky good player who could have appeared on this list three years ago, is a very good receiver but known as a special teams guy. He's gotten that special teams label and unlikely will get that opportunity to really show enough as a runner and may just never do because he's more of a straight line guy than he was a really shifty back who could create a lot on his own other than after contact. But for his size, that doesn't translate as well in the NFL, at least not to this date. But Rivers might become that scat back complement. He might have a shot to carve out a role here or elsewhere. I could see him also finding his way to the Raiders in, in McDaniel's system if you know sometime by mid-late year gets a, ends up with a futures contract or practice squad contract and winds up you know, getting on a team where he could have that kind of role. But he's worth watching. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks good at times during the preseason and the moments that he's given an opportunity. Number 17, Braylon Sanders, Miami Dolphins. Sanders is a speedy receiver um, who can make some contested catches. Um, he he wins plays over the middle at Ole Miss, but he was not a complete receiver in terms of what you're looking for as a route runner at this stage of his game yet. Um, there have been, I can't substantiate whether this is a legitimate thing to to talk about, but you know there have been thoughts about is he a, you know is he going to be a real student of the game and develop his game fully? Is he capable of doing that? Does he have the maturity to do that? You know, is he going to be a quick learner to do all these types of things? You know, we'll find out, or we may find out, but he's. He certainly made his impression early on in camp with the Dolphins for his speed, which you would expect. He's doing what you know he was doing what he did at Ole Miss at this stage, and he can run, he can track the ball, he can take contact. Um, he gives you a puncher's chance, and on a team where you know, look behind Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is packed as that top of their draft, their depth chart is. I mean, after that, you've got Preston Williams and you've got Isaiah Ford. And you don't have a lot there in terms of guys that the Dolphins are sold on or players who give you that that speed to, to really stretch the field. So if Waddle or Hill or both get banged up, Sanders is the type of player that they may have to look to, especially to leverage that play-action game. So... Keep an eye out for Braylon Sanders. If he has a good camp, he might stick to the roster and he might be worthwhile keeping an eye on. Number 16 is Appalachian State wide receiver Corey Sutton. Sutton began his career at Kansas State. And as much as I have admiration for Bill, Bill Snyder, he is seen you know, as one of the class acts in college football for over a long period of time. He is a coach that often gives guys second chances, um, and, but he is known for being pretty much a man of integrity and and a man of his word and someone that, you know, um, people learn from, you know, and he's given guys chances like Byron Pringle who had, you know, armed robbery in his past. Um, he gave him a chance. Bryce Brown, who... I was told once basically got in an argument with an SEC assistant and said something to the effect of, you know, I get paid more than you do and wound up out of Tennessee and ended up having to, ended up playing at Kansas State where he acted out and ended up um, getting kicked off the team. But he apologized, asked for an opportunity to get, um, to be able to work out on his pro day and Bill Snyder gave him that opportunity. Well, Corey Sutton got popped for, um, a marijuana for basically failing a marijuana test or a drug test for marijuana. And there were, you know, Corey Sutton tried to transfer after he got suspended for that. And after he, you know, they he had played after he'd been suspended, but after some, you know, after a rocky start there, and he was considered a, a good prospect, you know, for Division One standards. Um, he gotten into a conflict with Bill Snyder, 
and I don't remember all the details, but the the basic premise is, is that Snyder refused to let him go at first um, under certain conditions that seemed too restrictive, and eventually um, it got worked out. Sutton was allowed to transfer, and Bill Snyder actually apologized for how he handled it, and he apologized publicly. So, you know, Snyder's is a uh, stand-up guy. Sutton himself kind of reminds me of Rod Smith in a sense, maybe a little bit more explosive. And if he is as explosive as a Sparks um, workouts look like pre-college, Corey Sutton could be an interesting guy because he wins the ball well. He's physical. Um, he wins well after the catch. He's, you know, again, a long shot, but he's on the Lions. The Lions have a one-year contract with DJ Chark, kind of a prove-it deal. Quintez Cephas isn't a very fast guy as much as I like his skills at the catch point and what he can do. He's a trust receiver that just may not ever get that real opportunity and may not be able to win enough one-on-one to to earn it. And then, you know, Jamison Williams, certainly a fine player, but if you want to use Sutton, if you're looking for a, a flanker or maybe a big X, or maybe a big slot. Maybe Sutton has something that he can do to fit in there. So low-end proposition there, but worth keeping an eye on on a Detroit roster that's going to be in flux for the next couple of years. Montrell Washington. He's already made a good impression. He's a kid out of Samford who's been catching passes out of quarter from quarterback Liam Welch. And Washington had a nice game against Florida. And yes, I know Florida isn't a great defense, but again, here at the RSP, we scout the actions of the players, not the level of the competition to the degree that some people double dip and you know double score, double penalize players based on logo scouting. could care less about the logo. What I care less is what they do within their control. And Montreal Washington go up and win the ball. He has skill after the catch. He's an efficient mover. Um, showed some zone route running skills, some ability to track the ball well. And, you know, He's he could might be able to give you a little bit of that Doug Baldwin type of vibe to his game. And on the Denver Broncos, where you know it, I've heard that maybe Khalil, you know KJ Hamler is going to start on pup um, as a possibility. I think that's what Football Guys is reporting. I think Sigmund Bloom has heard something on that realm. Um, you know maybe Washington gets a chance to make a roster or at least be on the practice squad and work his way into a role for a team that, you know, um, with Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick after that, you know, that fourth or fifth wide receiver spot might be available and he might be able to work his way up from there. Certainly Russell Wilson has um, been able to work with lesser known receivers in the past and do good work with them like Jermaine Curse and, um, you know, Baldwin is a terrific example of that as well. David Moore, um, those are three guys that I can think of right off the bat. Number 14, Khalil Pimpleton, also a Detroit Lion. I've talked about him pre-draft in a number of places, but kid out of um, Central Michigan who is a excellent return specialist. Very sudden, um, terrific vision, excellent movement. I mean, rare type of movement skills. And he can go and win the ball against contact and make a tough adjustments. He's a short player. He's in that mode of Calvin Austin and Wandale Robinson, but not well as well known. But if you ask me, I would take Calvin Robinson, Khalil Pimpleton over Wandale Robinson Um Calvin Austin, excuse me, and Pimpleton over Wondell Robinson. I have them all within the same tier and really scored very tightly. Um, But I liked what Pimpleton offered with his game a little more than Robinson. Robinson's just the more known quantity who gets the benefit of the logo scouting because of that he went to Kentucky versus Central Michigan. But Pimpleton's interesting. And uh, he's already shown a little bit in Lions camp for whatever they can show, which is really athletic ability. The athletic ability is going to show out, and he's shown that already. So if he has a good camp where he shows that he's assignment sound for at least rookie standards and can make some big plays and the moments aren't too big for him on a bigger stage, 
he could be a name to keep an eye out for, especially as Khalif Raymond maybe goes by the wayside um, and, you know, some of the other players and they want to add more speed to their and explosiveness to their um, their offensive uh, lineup. Number 13, Reggie Roberson, another wide receiver as you've gone through here. We've gone, this is our fifth receiver I've mentioned at this point. And uh, Roberson was at SMU, smooth route runner, very good deep threat, someone who could go up and win the ball, but dealt with an ACL injury and wasn't completely recovered last year when he played. Um, there's some scouts who expect that he'll be fully recovered this year. He's with Tennessee. And you can see, you know, Nick Brett Westbrook, Akine, and um, Des Fitzpatrick, who kind of got the ire of, of Mike Vrabel last year. Um, Zach no, Zach Pascal's with the uh, Eagles, excuse me. But, um, you know, Akine and and the um, and Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick and the kid uh, McRath, McMath, or excuse me, McRath, um, Jay, um, the kid out of LSU who was seen as kind of a, a, a good project. These are all three guys that may not have long-term careers in of becoming starters, Fitzpatrick has that potential. McMath, I think, has um, has some potential there, but is maybe a, a little far away from turning that corner. And they added Tra- Traylon Burks, but this team is thin at wide receiver. Um, you know, Kyle Phillips is certainly the known name because he's a flashy mover as a as a route runner from the slot. But Roberson on the outside could be interesting. Um, if he's fully healed, he's a guy that I would keep keep an eye on over the next couple of years, at least as a, a guy who's more talented than what his draft capital showed, um, and especially as a more efficient route runner than what Williams offers, and a guy who can go up and get the ball. Chico Guanco is also a Tennessee Titan, and when you look at Austin Hooper as part of that team, um, you know, he's a Hooper's a good blocker. He's a he makes you miss with the first move after the catch. He can go up and win the ball in ways that require more trust throws than what a lot of quarterbacks are willing to, to do. But he's not a true separator vertically. And Oquanco can give you a little bit more of that separation skill. He's a nifty runner too. You can use him a little bit more like Delaney Walker, and he's earned those comparisons. He'd be a late round guy. I would take a chance on maybe even at the end of a deeper draft in a premium tight end league, I might wait this year and get a guy like him. In fact, I'm trying to do that in a league. We'll see how successful I am after saying it here, but uh, we're going to give that a shot. Number 11, Cole Turner. Another guy with a wide catch radius like Curtis Hodges. He's the guy who will be competing with Hodges for probably that third or fourth tight end spot with the commanders. Um, I I like Turner a little bit better. Um, I don't know if he has the potential to be the blocker that Hodges can be, but I think he's already a better receiver and a little niftier in terms of what you can do on the outside and, and in certain situations um, as a receiver. So I think he could have a shot to, to maybe make an impact this year as a situational second tight end, um, but not enough to use him in fantasy unless you know there's multiple injuries to the to the depth chart, but someone maybe in a year or two could turn into a low end tight end one or high end tight end two in some leagues like a Tyler Conklin that you might be able to use down the stretch and get production out of our top 10 of this all 22, all rookie team, 2022 rookie prospects who have the talent to potentially do what James Robinson has done. If given a true opportunity due to injury suspension an open-minded coach and staff, or some other exceptional circumstance. We're in our top 10 now. Just to review, from 22 down, 22 was Curtis Hodges, tight end for the Washington Commanders. 21, Charleston Rambo with um, Carolina Panthers. 20, running back Raheem Blackshear with the Buffalo Bills. Number 19, running back Britton Brown with the Raiders. Number 18, running back Ronnie Rivers with Arizona. Number 17, Braylon Sanders, wide receiver with Miami, wide receiver with Detroit, Corey Sutton at number 16, Montreal Washington, Samford wide receiver with the Denver Broncos, number 15, 
Wide receiver kick returner Khalil Pimpleton, number 14 with the Detroit Lions. Tennessee Titans rookie UDFA Reggie Roberson, number 13. Titans tight end Chigo Guanco, number 12. And then number 11, Cole Turner, tight end with Washington Commanders. Our top 10 begins with Jerrion Ely, the running back with Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid likes those uh, scat backs, you know, whether it was Ryan Westbrook, Charlie Garner, or um, you can look at, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as an example of that. Jerrion Ely is a receiver who can win inside. He can make some contested plays. He has very good movement. Um, I think there was concerns that might be maybe baseball was an option. I'm not sure. But Ely out of Ole Miss is a fine player, kind of a discount version of DeAndre Swift, if you ask me. Maybe a little bit more explosive in certain respects and where Swift can be in the short area. I think Ely's a little better in the short area. Um, he can catch. This team has Ronald Jones on a one-year deal. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hasn't been the player production-wise that a lot of people expected. Ely might carve away, you know, find his way to carve out a role as that, you know, two down, that two-minute back, you know, that guy who can play in two-minute drills and be the the receiving back and maybe used a little bit out of the slot perhaps. So Ely's a guy that I, I like his talent. I was a little surprised he wasn't drafted, but this was a rich running back class in terms of depth. So a lot of guys slid and just not a lot of opportunity that was really well known. Tyler Goodson, another scat back who I think has a little more ability between the tackles than Ely. Very good wide zone runner who I think um, who I really liked his route running skills and ability to get open one-on-one against linebackers and run option routes at Iowa. Um, underrated player, Tennessee Titans have him. Oh, no, excuse me, wrong. The Green Bay Packers have him, excuse me. And Kylan Hill's also a very good receiver, better runner between the tackles and Goodson, but not as explosive. And he's coming off an ACL tear. Patrick Taylor, physical, can catch, but kind of a plotter um, in comparison to what's on that depth chart. Goodson might be able to put up a fight against Patrick Taylor and earn a final spot on on that uh, depth chart, especially if a guy like um, Kylan Hill has to start on the pup list. Goodson could get some early opportunity to at least put up some good tape and with a really strong camp might even earn a, a part on the active roster all year long. And if Aaron Jones gets hurt um, and they need a guy who can play that role and give and spell um, A.J. Dillon a bit, Goodson could be that guy. It, it would be fascinating to see because it only takes one injury for, for someone can, to be in a position to make that kind of a difference. So Tyler Goodson I would keep an eye out for. Eric Azukama is number eight. He's a wide receiver with Miami. As we talk about that depth chart beyond Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, I mean, Preston Williams and, and uh, you know, Isaiah Ford. Listen, Williams has the size and some speed, but not great speed. Um, he's physical enough, but injuries have been a problem. And then you have a guy like Ford who is smaller and slower and more of a slot guy. Ezukanma played at Texas Tech, physical, tracks the ball really well, has some skill after the catch, drafted higher than a lot of people expected, I have a feeling. Um, and he's really not getting any play in fantasy drafts at all. I mean, he's fallen out of fantasy drafts. I would this is a guy I'd be picking up at the end of, you know, when it's expanded roster time, because if Hill or Waddle gets hurt, they're going to need somebody to fill in. And I and as I mentioned about Braylon Sanders, Sanders has that speed, but Ezukanma has enough speed to get deep. He has the physicality. I think he's a player who could develop into a contributor, if not a starter, maybe a Byron Pringle type of player, maybe a little better than that. There's some There's some upside there to his game. So I'd keep an eye on him. He could be a nice discount. Number seven, Bam Knight. Zonovan Knight out of North Carolina State. 
powerful runner for his size. But here's the thing. NFL teams hate seeing guys who look like they run like they're 225, but they're 206, 209, somewhere in that range. Um, Because then they're like, is this guy really going to be that powerful in the NFL? The answer is often not. But Knight isn't extremely explosive, but he has enough burst to get the job done. He moves well, good contact balance, really catches the ball well, and runs great routes. Like to me, if you gave me... If right now, if you said LaMichael P. Ryan or Bam Knight, I'd say I'd just go with Bam Knight and just forget LaMichael P. Ryan um, as a, that utility player for the for the Jets and let him grow from there. But he's not a great match in an outside zone scheme, but he's a better player overall than P. Ryan. And P. Ryan really isn't a great match for outside zone, if you ask me either. So, But Bam Knight, to me, if you put him in a team where you're running screens, you're running some gap plays, you give him some inside zone, some duo, Bam Knight can do you some good. And he might he's even the type of player that like a Peyton Barber could start for you for periods of time if you need him to, and he's not going to embarrass your team. So he's an eye guy I'd keep an eye on even if he gets cut by the Jets, which is probably likely based on their depth chart. Um, but he's a good he's a good running back. Number six, another running back, Abram Smith. Abram Smith. You know, we've talked about him on the Audible. I've talked about him on Twitter a good bit. I've shown some video of him. Former linebacker with Baylor who's had a couple of ACL injuries. One in high school, one early in college. He doesn't have great bend for what you'd look for with a lot of running backs in terms of cutting ability. But he understands how to, he has flexible hips, and that's really more important because he can make efficient moves, and he has that curvilinear movement to bend away from pursuit at a high level of speed. And he's as close as I've seen in recent years as a quote-unquote natural at a zone scheme. Outside zone, he's a natural at it. I mean, he maybe it's because he played linebacker enough that he understands from that perspective how to set up linebackers and make cuts, and he just that translated well for him. You don't normally see players take to certain schemes as quickly and operate them as smoothly with as much efficiency and savvy as Smith did at this stage of his career. Not that he's perfect at it, but he's a lot better at it than many guys entering the league who have been drafted much higher. He's an undrafted free agent and with Alvin Kamara potentially missing time if you know playing ever at all due to some of the issues that he's dealing with off the field, Abram Smith um, could be a guy that they might need as a contributor. And if he plays well enough with an aging Mark Ingram as really the only competition on that depth chart, Smith could be a factor as a one- or two-year stopgap who gives you starter production, if not more, if he shows a lot more. Keep an eye on him. Powerful runner, too, when he gets downhill. Number five is... Zaquandre White, Quan White with Miami. Miles Gaskin is a good running back. Smart running back, catches the ball well, efficient mover, just not big, strong, or extremely fast. He's not going to fit in what the, Mike McDaniel's going to want to do in Miami if, if what he did in San Francisco is in the indication because they don't want, they, they want speed over just refinement without speed. So you know, they want someone who can hit that hole fast and hard and and make the most of you know timing there. You know, Gaskin can do it, but at the level that they're looking for, probably not high on their priority list. Chase Edmonds can do it, but he's more of a scat back. You know, more of a Brian Westbrook type of player, but not as talented between the tackles as Westbrook. So Again, probably not going to fit there other than maybe being more in line with what they wanted from Gaskin with more speed, more quickness, and can do what Gaskins can do to an extent. Then you have Raheem Mostert, who's the top guy, but gets banged up a lot, you know, kind of in a prove-it situation. So, you know, looking at that depth chart, yeah, they have Salvin Ahmad, Ahmed as well. But to me, Zaquandre White has the most upside and yes, Sony Michelle. 
you know, who also gets hurt a good, a fair bit. Um, but if Michelle can stay healthy, certainly he and Mostert will be the one-two punch with Edmonds being kind of that, that scat back that you can use situationally. But White's the guy I'd keep an eye on because you got two injured players, you know, this depth, often with the 49ers, you need a depth chart, you know, 49ers East, we'll call them, or 49ers Southeast, you're going to need a depth chart at running back. And White is the type of guy who has the movement skills of an Edmonds or a, a Gaskin. He has the power of a Mostert and a Michelle, and he also has the speed that you're looking for. He's a little bit of a wild child in terms of his running. He's going to need a little bit more work. I've talked about pre-draft that there was a running back that I would want to coach if I had the skills to teach a running back how to become advanced as a technician and was skilled at that. I would pay to have Zaquandre White be a client of mine if he proved to be a decent student and was a mature enough guy to like take teaching and work at his craft. If that's the case, White has starter upside, like good starter upside, like Tony Pollard type of upside, the way that people see Tony Pollard right now. So Quandre White has some of that. He's number five on my list. Number four, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, the Chiefs, we already talked about their depth chart. Well, Pacheco to me has that Cam Akers type of vibe. I've talked about that. Skilled receiver in terms of tracking the ball. If he can translate that to understanding zones and being able to get open inside, middle of the field, make tough catches, and he shows and he proves that he's not just a guy who um, some of the bad plays on tape from what I saw were more because he just didn't have great blocking. If he proves that he's a much better decision maker than what a lot of people give him credit for, and I've given him credit, I think he could be a guy who replaces Ronald Jones in 2023. He could be that guy. He might be that guy to threaten um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for that starting gig by 2024, if not sooner. By the end of 2023, if he plays to what I think he's capable of, he might have that. He might be able to be the lead back in Kansas City. Now that's a big if because of draft capital. So you know, as as one of my readers asked me. You know, my buddy Gary, who's a longtime reader, he said, how do you resolve this? How do you resolve, you know, you had him ranked higher on your board pre-draft, but now he's much lower on your on your post-draft, and I just don't understand the, the difference. And the difference was draft capital, as I mentioned with Ryan Riddle, Riddle's article and some of the things that, that we see play out. He's going to have to prove it to make the roster on limited reps, and then he's going to have to get the opportunity to prove it off of those limited reps in game situations to show that there's something there that they want to hold on to and he's not just a stopgap option. And that's something that he's going to have to overcome biases to do that in addition to having limited opportunities, and that's just tough to do. But if he does, the talent's there. Our top three, our top three, we're going to review one more time if you skipped over this. Curtis Hodges, 22, Charleston Rambo, 21, Raheem Blackshear, 20, Britton Brown, Ronnie Rivers, Braylon Sanders, Corey Sutton, Montreal Washington, Khalil Pimpleton, Reggie Roberson, Chigo Quanco, and Cole Turner are from 11 to 22. Top 10, Jerry and Ely of the Chiefs, Tyler Goodson of the Packers, Eric Azukanma of the Dolphins, Bam Knight of the Jets, Abram Smith of the Saints, Saquandre White, number five with the Dolphins. Isaiah Pacheco with the Chiefs at number four. So who's our top three? Well, if you're an RP, RSP subscriber, you probably know. <laughs> you could probably bet at least two out of the three. And I'd bet many of you get right all three. Two of them are quarterbacks and one's a running back. Our number three is Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Strong. I know that the interviews turn people off. That's what I keep hearing over and over again is that he didn't interview well, so he turned some people off in interviews. Okay. I don't know what to make of that because sometimes when I when I think of some of the people who probably do the interviewing or how they're what they're turned off by, um, it's ridiculous. And I have a story 
that I wish I could tell about an absolute Hall of Fame caliber talent who turned off a team in need of a position after he did something during the pre-draft workout that the veterans approved of. The veterans were like very enthusiastic about, but the coaching staff wanted him to do something a certain way. And he argued the point, not in an immature way at all. He just brought up a point that most veterans bring up. But the coaching staff was so attached to either their ego or to the way they wanted it done that they thought he would not be good at following um, directions or authority. And this player is a multi-time All-Pro future Hall of Famer who is still like he's entering his mid-career. and what, So, I mean, if I say anything more, I'd give it away. Okay, but they were so turned off by this guy that they literally took him off their board. So you so when I hear, you know, interviews weren't great, I consider the source and the source is the NFL. And sorry, guys, there's some great people in the NFL, but there's also some decision makers who belong on Game of Thrones and not in a good way. So when we. You know, Carson Strong, maybe it's true, but what I saw on the field was a, an advanced decision maker who, who, who was tough in the pocket, who could move efficiently in the pocket and make difficult throws and did it while playing injured. And now he should be fully healthy. The only reason he should have dropped in my eyes if the, if the questions about the interviews prove false is that maybe there's concern that he not going to be able to stay healthy and that 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 the injury to his knee is a long-term issue that will shorten his career significantly otherwise he could have been one of the top three quarterbacks on this board easily and been a third round pick at worst so if Jalen Hurts doesn't take that next step and I think he will but if he doesn't Gardner Minshew's final year of his contract this year Strong could become the backup this year. And if Hurts falters or gets hurt, Thompson could be the type of guy to play his way into a starting role. So, or at least play his way into get, being impressive enough that his next contract could make him a journeyman starter like a Ryan Fitzpatrick and have that opportunity. Number two, Skylar Thompson out of Miami. Again, we talked about you know, this Miami team that has a great receiving core. Thompson, to me, was the most talented quarterback in this class. He might have been one of the more talented quarterbacks in last year's class, if you ask me, based on what I saw on film. Now, can he become that great anomaly? You know, there's some. we've heard little leaks from people saying we thought he was better than where he got drafted, and he's looking good in camp, at least early on, making some really nice layered throws and, and you know, getting a chance to work a little bit with Dan Marino. He seems to be jazzed about that and doing what he can with it, something that Drew Locke had a chance to do with Peyton Manning and didn't. Um, well, if you know, if Tua doesn't work out and this this staff is going to say all the right things, but they're not invested in Tua, not, to, not long term. If he falters this year and doesn't deliver and he doesn't, you know, then they can go elsewhere. Well, Teddy Bridgewater's that that literal journeyman bridge and Thompson could be that guy that they like enough that he could at least be the number two for this team by 2023. And if injuries strike, he could be the number two in 2022 um, and get that opportunity with a good camp. We'll see if that happens. I think he has the talent to do so. And he's the only guy this regime's drafted at quarterback. I mean, they've only had one year to do it, but they, they picked him in the seventh round rather than try and risk him signing elsewhere. So keep an eye out for that. Kennedy Brooks is my number one. I think he's the smartest running back in this class in terms of decision-making. Um, great contact balance. Good enough burst. Decent enough speed. He's not uh, a burner. He doesn't have 220-esque size. Doesn't have 4'3 speed. 
But, you know, he's big enough, he's strong enough, he's quick enough, he's fast enough to contribute, if not start. And his vision is the best in this class, if you ask me. And I think he's going to get a chance in Philadelphia to make this roster. And, you know, Kenneth Gainwell to me is a scat back. He's more of what Chase Edmonds at best might be. At best. Miles Sanders hasn't really impressed anybody to the degree that he's going to get a second contract in Philly. This is a good offensive line. And Boston Scott, as much as I like Boston Scott, as much as I'd love to see Boston Scott get that opportunity to be um, you, you know, a bigger part of the offense, you know, he's not, he's not particularly fast. He is quick, can catch, but teams want bigger backs to a degree. And I don't think he has that room to really grow from that perspective. Um, but he could be a, he's going to be a nice journeyman player who can contribute when called upon and even at a higher level um, because of his contact balance. But Kennedy Brooks, to me, might have that chance to be that great exception. So there you go. My All-22 for 2022. I hope you enjoyed this. Once again, you can get my RSP pre-draft post-draft package at $21.95 or my 2022 RSP Dynasty Projections and Complete Team-by-Team team Rankings Package for $24.95. Um, the $24.95 product will be available sometime in mid-June. I will email people um, a link and password to this information around that time. If you want the pre-draft, post-draft package centering on the rookies in a way that you're not going to find anywhere else, you can go deep at mattwaldman.com and get that immediately and download it right now. Once again... Thank you, appreciate you, and uh, see you next week.